Welcome, friends, to the Deep Roots Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest, Richard Clinton, who you've probably never heard of before, just on the first three episodes. And uh, this week, we're going to be interviewing Richard, and he's going to be sharing with us some of his story. And we think that going deeper into this podcast, that it's important that you hear the stories of the people who make Deep Roots a reality. And so we want to do honor to that. We want to celebrate the goodness that has been realized through Richard's obedience and, and just witness his story together. And I'm just excited to see how that's going to play into any future podcasts, any future events we have. Hmm. So without further ado, Richard, could you tell us who you are? No. (laughs) Who am I? Yeah. So just to share a little bit uh, about my story. And again, just to uh, echo what you said, Chris, in the intro was just to I really felt the in my heart the need for people to know who we are. Like, who are these people we're listening to, and why do I want to listen to them? And for friends, there there's a reason for that. There's a reason that we have uh, um, opened uh, that this ministry has has begun to move. And uh, so, yeah, just a little bit of my story and 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 what I'm about, and I guess that'll lead into. A little bit of the what and the why of what we do and, and and where Deep Roots Ministries has been going. So just to tell a little bit about my story and where I'm from. Um, I'm 41 years old at the time of recording this podcast. I've been married to my beautiful bride, Amber, for 22 years now, going on 23. And between the two of us, we have three awesome kids. They're not really kids anymore. Um, Sean's 22, Brandon's 20, and Ashley's 17. I'm a senior in high school. So it's interesting to see how this story has evolved over the years. Amber and I got married very young. We started, um, actually, we got married just over a week after I graduated high school. And um, very unusual for a lot of folks. And you, you just don't see it too much of that. And um, And especially to see that and see a marriage that has flourished the way ours has um and even for 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 most of our for the first 17 years of our marriage god wasn't a big part of that story he wasn't a part of that narrative so to kind of give some backdrop into that um you know we met in high school we we worked together and um uh, at the local McDonald's, and that was how we kind of started our relationship. Um, I saw this cute little redhead come in and um, want, applying for a job one day, and there was just I don't know. She caught my eye from the get go, and that's how um, our that's how our uh, connection started. Started dating, and within eighteen months of that, we're getting married and. Life is beginning. 18 months? 18 months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to think about that. Because um, uh, I met her in December 95, and we were married in June of 97. Okay. And um, so it was, it's was. it been a, a, a quite a ride. Um, being, and being so young and not really having any idea where our life was going to go, but we knew we had 
this love for one another and we wanted to start this life together. Um, and shortly after, you know, and as a part, and, um, our first son comes along. And so now we're parents very early in the marriage. And, and then we went on this two year plan. So by the time we were 23, we already had, we already had three kids, which is wild. Wait, could you please describe to me the two year plan? <laughs> there was no plan. <laughs> so the, the two year plan was that our kids are just two years apart. Each one. Ah, okay. <laughs> Totally by chance, yeah, totally. or was this a planned thing yeah, from Amber's point of view? It started with no plan, and then it, I guess it turned into a plan. It was like, oh. yeah, we just decided, yeah, we're going to go ahead and have these kids. If we want to have kids, we'll go and have them early in our in our marriage and go ahead and begin raising a family. And it was, it actually, it's worked out really well. As young as we were, um, we really, uh, we really took that responsibility of being parents. Um, very seriously, we knew we wanted to raise our kids in a very good, in a good way, or as good as as good as we thought we could. Um, so it was, and it was interesting. Like I said, the first seventeen years of our marriage, there was God wasn't in the narrative, mm-hmm. um, at, least, at least not in the day to day. You know, there was this belief in Jesus. You know, I did the whole thing in um, middle school. Our, I was twelve, thirteen years old. I did the whole walk the aisle profess my faith in the front of the congregation and, and get baptized and all that stuff because everybody else was doing it. So I figured, I guess I'm supposed to do it as well. I got saved like 10 times when <laughs> I was in high school. Yeah. I mean, and I was I was baptized in the Catholic church when I was six in the Philippines. Man, so you are, you are extra saved. I'm just like, hey, just throw a little water on, just a little add a little extra to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, 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 it's kind of wild how all of that kind of came together in Amber. Um, and maybe one day you guys will get to kind of hear from her and kind of, she can share a little more about her story, but, um, she grew up, the church she went to for part of her early childhood was a very, uh, strict Baptist church. One of those, you know, real hellfire and damnation, like you do this or you're going to go to hell forever kind of, and the way the, the preacher was, I mean, she literally was scared of God because of the, the, because of that, um, the way he was at that church. So, um, so again, so we, we kind of gravitated together, like I said, and started life and, um, it was, but it was good. It was so good. I think there was, there was something so wild about the way we connected and the way we really took to wanting to provide the best for our kids, um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So, uh, I guess that was a big part of us. Uh, it was that they they became a big central part of that of that story about that narrative for our lives about how we were going to operate, um, as well as our own um, our own marriage. You know, we really learned to communicate very well. Actually, she had to teach me how to communicate because I sure as heck didn't talk. She had to teach me how to talk, <laughs> and she'll tell you that. <laughs> she will definitely tell you that that I wasn't much of a talker and. Um, it, it would, it early on, it took a lot for her to get just words out of me to get me to just, to um, share either what was on my mind or whatever it was. So, okay. um, it was always kind of wild. Um, but, uh, we communicated very well, didn't hide anything from one another. So I think that's what's helped us really navigate through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was our story. I was spent 20, uh, plus years in the corporate world. Um, went, so I started, we got married, um, I actually went off uh, to basic training in the Army. Um, 
about a month and a half after we got married. So that was okay. a very short piece of the narrative. Um, but she was about to give birth to our our first son, and, Sean. And how old were you then? I was you to... 18 when I left. 18 when, um, So we were 18 when we got married. So I was still 18 when I went off to basic. Um, okay. And turned 19 while I was at boot camp. Okay. Um, and... It was a very stressful time for both of us because she's pregnant. I, I'm leaving, and she's she's already five months pregnant, I think, at the time. Five, five yeah. And um, there's a lot of stress on both of us of what this life was going to be like, mm-hmm. um, if we, about being a military family or what or, or whatnot. And so, about the time I finished basic, um, she was getting close to having birth, giving birth to our son. Mm-hmm. I'm hours away. Um, at uh, Fort Jackson where I did my training and I was stressed beyond belief but I knew I, I didn't want to leave her there by herself I didn't want her to go through the the thing of having this child without me there uh, yeah. and, and all of this and even had a, I had a company commander they were very supportive of me and everything and um, understanding what how I felt but even telling me like you may not be able to be there when your son's born but we'll get you there as quick as possible once mm-hmm. we know and I'm like it just didn't sit well <laughs> With me personally, no, oh, I get it. So, um, uh, so I ended up. I went to my uh, drill sergeant first, um, and this was uh, this was uh, you know following basic and, and ready to go to AIT and all that. And um, I just said, I really feel like I need to be home. I, I really feel like I, I need to be with my wife. She's going through all of this. Um, I just I don't think this is the right place for me to be right now and I requested to be discharged hmm. so very crazy part of the narrative so um, so my service was very short very short-lived um, but it taught me a lot I can say uh-huh. that being there and being in that environment and and, and being a, I, I, I was I was high speed in, in, in training and all that mm-hmm. squad leader all this stuff and I was uh, I, I loved every minute of it and what I was doing, but at the same time, I knew um, I just didn't think it was going to be the right thing for this family. So, um, but I didn't think about that ahead of time. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, when you're 18 slash 19, your 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 span time span of like life is so short. Yeah, like you, there's no way you you kind of think about those those uh. I mean, consequences, if you will, but, but that's still, a, that's saying it kind of in a negative way. Yeah. But honestly, I, I mean, I, I got out of the military for my family, mm-hmm. so I totally get that. It's just, you were, uh, let's see, you were 10 years ahead of me in the decision <laughs> yeah. and, and in the baby's department. So that's, no, I totally get it. So it, it was wild. So, but the, I, I really, um, and I wrestle with that. I, I wrestle with a lot of guilt over that for a number of years of I felt like I had abandoned a responsibility, a responsibility because I, I knew a responsibility I had to my family, but I felt like I had abandoned responsibility I had to serving because um, yeah. I had signed up. I had give, taken mm-hmm. the oath and all that to serve in, in, in the army and all that. And um, Amber thought if, and this is, uh, she always felt like I blamed her for it. And that's, that was mm. never, there was never any blame towards her. This was yeah. purely internally, um, with me. Um, but it would have turned out to be the best decision. No, that's a very, 
brave and maybe in your mind stupid thing to do even now you're like it sounds like you're not so like you're like "Eh." yeah no that's a that's a brave thing to do because the views of for people who are in the military when somebody says i need to go back to my family especially if people have been in the military for a long time it is a very hard thing for them not to cast judgment on you because that's the way they feel. Yeah. And that was the other thing. So I, had, I always wondered at what people thought about that. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, I never, well, the wildest thing about that is I knew my, my dad uh, understood where I was coming from, well, there you which go. is wild. And I don't think you and I have ever talked about this. No. Um, but, uh, you know, when he and my mom got married, my dad served, was in the Navy. He served, um, was it 20... 23 or 28 total years in the Navy between active and reserve retired in 98. Um, but served in Vietnam was deployed overseas. And then after his initial service, that's where he met my mom in the Philippines. Okay. Um, he had gone back to live there. Um, they came back. Um, she moved to the States in 74 and they got married. And, um, after my older brother was born, um, I think my dad was, going back into the service, was going to go back into the Navy. Mm. And I think was actually, I don't know if it was officer school, but he was going, um, like, up north um, for something. And he was going to be gone for— And your family's in Georgia. Yeah, my family's in Athens, in Georgia. Mm. Uh, My mom's living with uh, my grandparents. Um, She's still very new to this country, um, you know, and and now has uh, an infant son and all this stuff, trying trying Mm. to deal with all that. And my dad left— and so they're trying to figure out, okay, how's this going to go? Uh, the next day they get a call from my dad. They figured he was just calling to say, I, I made it. And he's like, no, I'm at the bus station. Can you come pick me up? And they decided I can't do this. I got to come back home. Mm-hmm. So he came back home and then um, ended up, instead of being active, we ended up going reserve instead. Okay. So served in the Navy reserves for the remainder of his career. Got commissioned in the early 80s. Um, and then that was kind of that narrative, but it was, so he understood and just okay. a long story, unless he understood where I was coming from. That's cool. On that. So, um, so to, let me make sure I understand your story here. So you meet this hottie in McDonald's, mm-hmm. you fall in love, get married eight, 18 months later. And then you're like, okay, I've got a family to provide for military. Seems like a pretty good option. Honorable, good ish pay like you know it's supportive it'll you can do it Uh, and then then you realize like oh man this is this actually might not be the best thing for my family Um, so you request to be discharged and it's granted so now you you went right into 20 years in the corporate world so i guess start wherever you want to right after the military and if you want to transition that. Yeah, absolutely. After the discharge and after coming home, a couple weeks afterwards, our first son, Sean, is born. So now we're parents. And it was a whole new, obviously a whole new venture. And anybody that's a first-time parent, you know, that's just, it changes your world uh, in, in, in a lot of ways. And here we are, 18 and 19 years old, um, first-time parents, uh, not knowing what this life's going to look like for us, but we're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to work this out. We're going to figure it out. 
after Sean's born and we begin to start our lives, really starting our lives now together, um, military's done, go to work and got a, my first, you know, long-term job working, uh, and started in a warehouse, uh, and, and then that's following summer, the summer of 98, I started school, started working on my undergrad um, at the same time. So I was a full-time student and working full-time um, all at the same time. Amber continued working after Sean was born for um, the next couple of years. Um, and then two years later, our next one comes along, Brandon comes along, and that's when she becomes a stay-at-home mom at that point. So now we're 20 and 21 years old. Um and I had just landed my first corporate gig, if you will. I was now okay. moving from warehouse space to office, to an office, kind of this uh, account manager, account okay. coordinator role, and kind of went on from there. Um, and that was our life. That was our life for the next many years. Our daughter Ashley came a couple years later, um, left that job, actually got laid off from that job, um, on Amber's birthday, which was wild. On her 21st birthday, I got laid off from that job. And, uh, what year was that? That was 2000, early 2000. Okay, I was just wondering if it was the same time as the the market crash. Or oh, no, 08. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 not yet. Um, so, uh, but found, found a new job about a month later and uh, was at that company for the next six years um, and finished my undergrad in 03. Um, Ashley was just about a year old. And then went back to school again to work on my MBA. And then so did that. Still did this full-time, was working 40, 50 hours a week plus and schooling full-time for the next couple of years. And so that, and again, so finished that degree and then just continued working, found, and then my most recent job, started working there in 06, and that was my career for the next and that was our life my life was literally all about um slowly moving up the corporate ladder trying to make a success out of myself providing the best i could for my family in that way and i felt like that was the important part of our life now do you want to talk about like what you did at all or is i mean i could share a little bit i was for the most most of my career i was kind of a a business analyst, training analyst, project manager type person. I've kind of delved into all those realms over the course of my career. Um, and so that's that's been most of my experience. Um, okay. And I won't go too much detail on that, but that's kind of what I did. I worked uh, um, uh, in some very in a very global company. My most recent company was a, is a very globally well known company. Okay. And. Um, uh, so and I worked with people all over the globe on a regular basis. So you worked your way through a few different companies in your professional life: mm-hmm. um, business analyst, project analyst slash manager. So okay, I'm starting to get a picture in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you're at your most recent company, global company. Absolutely. So just to kind of, um, I'll step away from kind of that piece, the working piece for a little bit and kind of go back to my life. I had been with that company for um, about three, almost four years at this point when um, in the fall of 09, I had life started taking, it took a real drastic turn for us, essentially. Like I said, 
for most of our life, uh, most of my life and my married life and life as a dad, it was all about, you know, making a success out of my career, providing the best I could for my family and moving up the best I could in order to be mm-hmm. able to provide that kind of life. Um, and because I felt like that was what was important, mm-hmm. right? So get to the fall of 09, and again, like I said, life really just took a drastic hit. And it was, um, got a call on October 13th from my mom that she could not get a hold of my dad. I was at a band practice with, uh, or a band demonstration with my oldest son, Sean. Um, then from there, we had to go to a baseball game for my son, Brandon. So I was dressed for that as well because I was coaching his team. Amber and Ashley are at a pageant rehearsal that she was competing in. And um, mom calls me in a frantic and like, I can't get a hold of your dad. I don't know where he is. And they were supposed to be at this band thing. They weren't. Mm-hmm. I just figured she was calling to say they, you know, couldn't make it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Something come up. Um, and uh, she's saying, she's telling me she's watching the news and she's seeing reports of this fatal car accident on the road that my dad takes to and from work every day in a commuter van that he drove every day. And the accident is involving a commuter van. And so um, I immediately run inside, tell my in-laws, you know, I need you guys to take the kids for me, please. I've got to get to my parents' house and figure out what's going on. And so I, I book it. They live about 45 minutes away. Um, from where we were living and uh, so I get to my mom's house my mom and dad's house and we're trying to figure out you know what's going on Um, my brothers and my sister get there as well and we're just we're seeing these news reports and this I mean and I I remember the impact on the way there because the traffic in around Atlanta one artery is shut down which this one was it impacts traffic everywhere and you could see it as I was trying to get there, all mm-hmm. these other roads that usually weren't as crazy were nuts because mm-hmm. I was routing around it. But yeah. anyway, um, get there to, and, and we're, we're just watching the news, trying to figure out, we're making calls all over the place, trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. His dad in a hospital. Um, Cause we figured at that point it was his van. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be like him to not answer mm-hmm. the phone. Um, and then uh, around, about four hours after when we finally got confirmed that he was one of the ones killed in the accident. And, uh, again, that just, the impact, obviously devastating for all of us, for our whole family. Um, my dad was one of seven kids. So all, you know, all his siblings are still around and having to, you know, make the calls to all of them. This is what's going on. Um, let them know. And, um, you know, making all those arrangements. I mean, just kind of just total chaos mm-hmm. for, in a lot of ways for us. But, um, you know, I think for me personally, what was so wild was that this was the one man in my life that I had any real connection with the connection from a standpoint of someone that I talked to on a regular basis and really could almost share, um, what was going on in my life. You know, mm-hmm. he and I would talk at least once a week, most of the time. Um, I'd call, just kind of check in. Some of our conversations were very surface, nothing big. Um, it, it, we talked, especially after a Georgia football game, 
talked about that again because I mean mm-hmm. he is a um, my grandparent my grandparents lived right off campus at the University of Georgia that's where he went to school so our whole family are diehard Bulldogs and that's okay. what we did we we just talked talked football and everything and um, so um, so having the one man that, that that I really was close with in my life was now gone and for me that just sent me on this kind of tailspin in a lot of ways I really question life I question purpose I question what this if someone like him could be taken a man who was really devout in his faith and a lot um and really um was for me an example of of a dad who was always present Mm -hmm. in your life um you know if someone like him could be taken you know what what did that mean you know what, what what's the purpose of life you know he was still had all these plans he and mom were going to retire or he was going to retire in a couple of years and they had plans of moving and uh, back to the philippines for a couple of years to be with the family they had all these plans in place of what and they were going to do and all of a sudden all that's gone you know so i'm in this place where i'm like oh gosh what what the hell what does that mean for me mm-hmm. you know i don't even know how to make sense of it mm-hmm. um so I really spent the next couple of years um, questioning life in a lot of ways, trying to make sense of things, trying to find a way to just move forward with life. You know, I didn't have him any longer, and I was I was um, I was a guy that was very isolated, and I think I was isolated in a lot of ways because I didn't have um, have starting a family very early. Um, really isolated us in a lot of ways not many people do that yeah i mean it's you know we had some friends but you know as things happened we started a family and friends started drifting off oh, yeah. and so it was it was literally amber and i and our kids and then the world yep. we were we were our own little community yeah i mean my wife and i like we started ours as for me i was i was relatively older i think i was maybe so I was about 27, but Catherine was much younger. And so we're in this weird zone of so young that all of the people who normally would be friends are not. Right. But then we're also so young that all the people who do have kids are much older than us. Yeah. And so it's this kind of weird middle ground. So I, I get that being being isolated in that way you just your world shrinks to like you your wife the kids and maybe a couple interactions on wednesday night church group if you even have that yeah that's something we did our interaction was the ball field that was our interaction with people we got to know people there and, and some good people we got to know i mean i'm not nothing against um, cause we had some, we, had, we did have some good times, but there was, you know, there wasn't a big, whole lot of depth to those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've spoke to that in the previous podcast, I believe, but a little bit, but, um, that's just, um, that was our life. So we, we maybe go to ball games and stuff, but we were home. It was us. It was our life. But, um, I didn't have any context of how to process all of this, what was going on in my life. And I found myself, like I said, I had a little bit of church exposure uh, growing up. I kind of had an idea of, you know, who God was, had this belief of, of God and Jesus, but I didn't have 
any, there was no fruit, no relationship there. Right. And I was like, okay, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure out what gate I know God is real, but I've got to try to figure out what he's doing here. What is all this meaning? So probably a couple years after dad died, I picked up the Bible for the first time to just to read through it. I had read some scripture. I knew some scripture. Everybody knows John 3.16. I knew a few other things. and But this was the first time I was like, you know, I'm going to start in Genesis and just go straight through to Revelation. I'm just going to read this. I need I needed to figure something out. And, you know, that's what, so that's what I did. And um, I learned some, but it was I was reading it for more. It felt like a history book. You know, from the way I from the way I was reading it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so I was learning some things, but at the same time, there wasn't. I didn't feel like I was getting context to apply to my life yet. Um, and um, this is wild. So in, I think it was the summer, spring summer of 2012, which is how long after your dad died. So this was now going on about two two and a half years after he he died. Um, I had a colleague at work, um, a lady named Casey, who um, she knew kind of was going on. She, she, we had worked together for a few years, so she was there when uh, Dad had died and everything. So she knew all those things in my life. And she came to me one day and just handed me a gift bag and just said, that I just wanted to give you this. And open it up, and inside this bag is a book called Wild at Heart. I felt like I had heard of this before. I didn't know, and then and maybe uh, in some circles you hear about that, but, um, you know, she told me several years later, um, actually last year we were meeting uh, for lunch, um, and she really conveyed to me that she God was really telling her to give me that book, specifically me, nobody else. Mm. Like, you need to give Richard this book. And she was just being obedient in that. And I was like, okay, great. So, um, naturally, I get this gift. I'm like, great, okay, a book, okay? I wasn't a huge reader. Uh, you know, I had read a few books here and there. Um, and it was funny because Casey, every once in a while, would come up and ask me, you know, hey, how, how, how's that book so far? How, how? I was like, sure, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I had maybe read the first two pages. It literally sat on my desk for about 18 months before I decided I just need to actually read it. So she'll stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> and I can actually answer oh how the book was. Motivation. And, you know, it, it wasn't just that. I was like, okay, I, I think there may be something here. And just pick it up and read it. And um, uh, so it was wild. I, I, and, and, oh, my gosh, it was, it was this interesting and amazing. I can't even describe the feeling that happened when I first just, when I finally read through it of just how, much it spoke to my life. It gave me all this context that I was trying to figure out. I can describe it because you've described it to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who is this man, John Eldridge, and how does he know me so Yes, well? yes, that's exactly it. Like, who, who is this guy, this person, this man, John Eldridge, how does he know me? How does he, because he was speaking to that. He was really speaking to, to, to a lot of things in my life of really trying to figure out who I was as a man, who I was as a father, um, who God was in the context of that. Um, and 
it just it things started the things started clicking and uh, you know I was like okay I've got to figure more out okay I, I got to keep on can I keep on this and you know John had other books that and that he's that he's written he's written several others um, I picked up Father by God um, next and then I went back to his first book that he wrote with Brent Curtis The Sacred Romance mm-hmm. I read that next and and just kind of kept on like that and um, and it just things just started clicking and it, I mean, you know I was just going to stay in that I was going to stay in that reading that for the reading those books and really trying to make sense of all of this for me and then we get into now so it was 2013 when I first read Wild at Heart mm-hmm. um, and then by early 2014 you know I, I you know one of the things they talk about uh, and they do at Ransom Heart was they have these boot camps and this Wild at Heart boot camp that's built around based off of that book Wild at Heart and um, I read about it found it online I was like huh this seems interesting and um, that year they were actually doing one in Georgia at, at Sharp Top Cove and I was like what? oh sweet that's I'm gonna cool. and I don't get in <laughs> I entered the lottery. They do the lottery system yeah, for yeah. that, and I don't get in, but I get the admin code for the next one. And okay. I was like, cool, okay. So I, I enrolled again the next time around for, for one in Colorado, January 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, sweet. I got into that. And um, so, like, I have no idea what to expect. I'm about to go on this trip out west. And mind you, all the tra- travel I've ever done by plane anywhere in my life my adult life was for business i'd never flown anywhere just for personal reasons at Mm. this point i still haven't that's the only time i've ever flown anywhere for personal reasons you need to get out more yeah i do (laughs) well i I think about me is i love to drive places so there we go yeah but that's but here i you know like you know i get I, i i can afford to fly i'm gonna fly there and we'll do it and um and uh so i began preparing for for the boot camp and um uh, it was kind of wild around the uh, that I had taken actually taken my first trip out to Colorado um, in late 2014 for a business trip. So it was my first time kind of experiencing the altitude and kind of getting a little bit. Okay, this is kind of what it's like. And then um, then I'll get now I'll get to fly back out there again, but uh, for this and it was it was wild. It was a, a wild trip. Um, again, like I said, had no idea what to expect when I got there. And the other wild part about all this is that you know having not really, I never really tra- I didn't travel a whole lot I flew every once so often but both directions to and from I get first class upgrades. I wasn't going to complain, but how nope. in the heck does that happen? I've I'm like bottom of the totem pole when it comes to sky sky miles. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I've never even gotten that. That's yeah, beautiful. I'm like okay, I, I'll take it. Sweet. Yeah. Um. So. Nah, maybe God was doing something there. I don't yeah, know. Maybe no. God was giving up an upgrade. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, I'd so, kind of attribute a little bit of that. Be like, yeah, like oh, hey, thanks, man. Maybe so. I'm just like, I'm just going to take care of you this whole trip, son. Just come on. So, yeah, I mean, that trip started this this kind of roller coaster ride in my life. And now at the time of recording this is just about five years ago that I'd never expected would happen. You know, they, um, 
I go to the boot camp and, you know, it's beautiful. I've never seen that much snow in my life for one. It was like, it was awesome. Just taking that ride up the Berthout Pass into the Fraser Valley and mm-hmm. then the Crooked Creek Ranch and all that. And I think that's where you went to Wild Heart, isn't it? It is, but I've seen a lot of snow in my life. So yeah, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit, honestly, I'm a little bit envious or not envious. I'm a little bit jealous that you got to experience that kind of just mm. wham pow like, yeah look at all of this snow that's it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it was something and i had never um so i took all that in the whole bus ride from denver all the way through the valley and everything i was just like wow, oh yeah this the, is the, those switchbacks are crazy yeah it was beautiful wild. The, the views are amazing um so i was i was just encapsulated by that if that if that alone was worth the trip for me mm-hmm. i was just like because i just Something about mountains just speaks to my heart in a lot of ways, um, but that in particular. And then, so we get to the boot camp, and that was cool about it is, you know, Ransom Hearts are very particular about really um, trying to room you with people from your region. Um, mm-hmm. So I got to meet a lot of guys that were actually in Georgia um, that were in my bunkhouse, and which was really neat because, like I said, I was a very um, disconnected, isolated man in a lot of ways. Um, uh so now maybe this was the first opportunity in my life to maybe make some friendships. Um, and it was kind of wild because like a couple of weeks prior, you know, we had started going back to church and started really trying to figure out life there. And uh, my pastor is now, he's also a really good friend of mine. He asked on a, at a men's Bible study one night, he's like, just asked out loud to all the men. He's like, who here does not have any close friends in their life, any close friends, men in their life. Mm-hmm. And, I had never thought about that, but immediately my hand just shoots up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I knew I had knew at this point that there was that was missing in my life. That mm-hmm. I, there was this this aspect of relationship that I never had, and I needed to figure that out. But you, but it sounds like you probably wouldn't have if somebody asked you, "Hey, what's wrong?" You yeah, probably would have never said like, "I don't have good." male friends yeah right? I, I don't think so i don't had that question never come up i don't know yeah maybe eventually it would have come up but it never would have been i never would have identified it yeah at that point that's pretty um cool. as being something yeah that's really missing mm-hmm. um in my life and so go to the boot camp and we get through the first night and it was awesome great opening night and then um the first morning we're in session and you know at the end, we did these covenants of silence, these times with God, and um, which was so frontier to me. I was like, okay, you're giving me some questions now to go be by myself. Can't talk to anybody. I've got to go spend some time with God by myself. Okay. Yeah. Let's see how that goes. Um, let's listen to the voices in my head. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is that you, God, or is that... Uh... So um, I was like, cool. Okay, so I'll take these questions. Really, I'm kind of wrestling with... Um, I believe that session was all about this larger story, how, how we fit in the, into the story with God and everything. So pondering that, and it was it was great. Uh, you know, this is right now some answers, and it was um, it, it was good. And then I finished um, with that for a little bit, but we had some time. We had some time before the first before the next session was going to happen. I see guys that are out there walking around um, still, so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take a little walk. I'm just gonna uh, so I go down to the main road to the ranch and started walking out that road just to kind of see. Uh, look around a little bit. Look around the valley there, and, and it's always so wild when when and talk about this. But as I'm walking, coming down uh, that main route, I remember looking off to my right, and there was this 
snow covered everything everything's covered in snow but i could see this kind of little trail that kind of winded off into the woods um and kind of around goes around the back side of the ranch and i was like oh and uh and i just feel this this almost this this voice telling me that you know i'm here i am on this on, on this open road that goes out of the ranch i see where i'm going i see and then it was essentially telling me you have been this on this wide road life your entire life where you feel like you know where you're going you've got a plan for everything you're going to do but look to your right to this trail will you follow me into the unknown like you're following this tra- like you'd follow this trail not knowing where it's going hmm. and it was like okay what the heck was that <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? I had no idea what to what to make of that. I'm sitting there thinking, um, all right, am I just hearing things in my head? What what is that? So, mm-hmm. um, but I'm thinking, I'm just like, I that was I've never heard something speak like that, and um, and it was that kind of articulate. Was this wasn't just my mind racing? Mm-hmm. This was just literally something speaking to me. Someone speaking to me and I go you know I immediately walk back up sit down find this place sit and I start throwing this down in my journal like what was that you know um is that and given the context I was probably literally the first time in my life that I ever really heard the voice of God speaking to me mm-hmm. and really um where I could audibly really hear that and so it was wild I was like okay could you could you define audibly I could just it was just this, it wasn't like this booming kind of, oh, yeah, you hear me, son, you've been on this road. No, it was just this, this stillness and this, this subtleness in, within me, kind of like just, it was, but I could feel these, hear these words just being articulated with such clarity. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to explain because, you know, uh, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to really understand the way the way it came across for me, no. you know. Just um, you said audible, so I yeah, yeah. To. But it was it audibly from the sense that it was just made sense that this wasn't just my mind. Yeah, it wasn't just chatter. It was it was almost like something. For probably for once, your soul was quiet enough. Yeah, to to, to hear it in the first place it has a lot to do with it. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, because that was the first time in my life I've ever fully been able to stop unplug from the world, from the matrix, and literally try to be with God. And that was what that was the whole weekend supposed to be about. And so that's what um what that was. So so yeah, I go I write that down and, and now now I'm hungry. Now I'm like, okay, what's going on? I got is God doing something here or what? Um so we get to the next sessions and um still pondering more questions um, about myself and asking God, like, who am I to you? And how do you see me? And those kind of wild questions that just, um, I never thought to ask in any context of first, how do people, how do other people see me? And then asking God, okay, how do you see me? And then at that point, I hear these words that you are a son. Actually, you're my son. And I'm like, okay, 
and, and you know, reading what you know what John had written in Wild at Heart and, and and Father by God and all that stuff, I kind of was getting this context of what being a son through Jesus Christ kind of looked like. I but I really, but my dad was dead, so I really you know I didn't know what that meant for me. I didn't really have an understanding for that, and it was to, to hear that I'm like, okay, I'm yeah, you're my son. Okay. Okay. And so um, just praying on that. And I kept hearing those words come back to me. Will you just follow and trust me? Will you follow me and will you trust me? And I, I wrestled with that for the next, uh, I guess, 24 hours or so, trying to figure out, you know, what this meant. Um, and the next day, me and some guys, we decided we're going to go out and do some snowshoeing up to the hilltop behind the ranch. So uh, we get through the next day, and, you know, the next morning, um, actually not even the next morning, uh, that same afternoon um, when I first heard God, really just also had some really huge breakthrough in my own life of just um, addressing some some woundedness, hidden woundedness that I really didn't know how to deal with. Um, um, I really had no idea how to identify, but it really started coming out mm-hmm. that weekend and or that day. Um, and that, that day was actually the first time I can ever remember in my life that I ever let anybody lay hands on me and pray over me. Hmm. And a couple of men from the Ransom Heart team actually came and sat with me and just talked with me. And then they just laid hands on me and just prayed over me. And I was a freaking wreck hmm. at this point. Um, so, but it was, I mean, but man, it was so good hmm. um, how that was. And um, then... Uh, then we and we continue on through the weekend. The next day, we get up, uh, go through the morning sessions, and this is awesome. Just a, a lot of really good teaching, and I won't go through the details on all that still, but I'm um, still wrestling with that question of will you follow and trust me? What does that mean? Um, so that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon, January 31st, me and some guys decide after lunch we're, we got some free time um, before the evening sessions, so we're going to go out and do some snowshoeing. So after lunch, we check out our snowshoes and we start heading up uh, to this trail that runs up by the backside of the ranch that heads up to the hilltop behind and goes up, yeah, maybe another, maybe a couple hundred feet more from above the ranch. And so beautiful view up there and it was awesome. And um, and it was it, it was cool. It, it was just, it was nice. I'd never gone snowshoeing before. Like I said earlier, I'd never seen this much snow in my life. And now I'm getting to go off through all this and going up these trails through all these switchbacks up this uh, hillside was just awesome. And, mm-hmm. and, and cool to see all that and um you know as deep as that snow was it was wild because uh you know even with the snowshoes sometimes you you did sink a little bit and one of the guys that was with us decided i want to do this trail without snowshoes and i'm like all right buddy have fun and but he made it he, he stuck with us and he made it through the whole through the whole trail and uh we get to the top of that hill and we we just we stop up there and it was uh Everybody, so everybody kind of disperses, and we're just kind of looking around for a little bit. And I'm just standing there, just overlooking this valley and seeing just it's just beautiful, just so majestic, and seeing the mountains there. And and those questions come up again: Will you follow me? Will you trust me? And I just keep hearing that in my head. And I'm just standing there, and I'm just standing there looking at the valley. And I just turn, I look up, and I just say, God, yes, yes, I will follow you, and I will trust you. Jesus, I will follow you and trust you. And this is all internal. This was there was no 
big fanfare about this or anything. I just didn't say anything to anybody else. This was all within myself of that was the, my moment of complete surrender of I'm going to follow you into the unknown. I don't know what that's going to look like in my life. So here we go. And, uh, and kind of the other funny part of that, about that whole hike, that was also the same time that I started drinking black coffee. I'd always drink coffee with cream and sugar and all that stuff. And, you know, we're up there, it's cold as all get out. And, and, you know, and all we have was water, but one of the guys actually was smart enough to bring a thermos of coffee. So we had something warm and we're like, oh, yes, 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 coffee. So pass around and I'd actually drink some coffee there. And it was like, I don't know, it was kind of this weird kind of switch that happened that I was from that moment on. I just drank my coffee black. Mm-hmm. So this is the funny running joke that now from now on, if I see you putting cream or sugar in your coffee, you don't love Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> because I started drinking black coffee when I surrendered to Jesus. <laughs> when you start to love the good Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to take that cream and sugar. That is an abomination. That's Get right. Get that out of your coffee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's oh, – I love I love saying that. I just – you know, and it's always a joke when I say it, but it's just yeah, – yeah. it's funny. But – but I'll kind of, I'll step back from that a little okay, bit. Okay. So we, you, you know, we, we go on and like, okay, you know, I just like gone through this whole point of surrender kind of, um, but now what's this going to look like? What's this going to look like to really follow Jesus and all that? So we go through the rest of the weekend. We get through that night. Actually that night, there was a big movie night and all the men are in the auditorium watching Kingdom of Heaven. I step in for a minute and I'm like, yeah, but no, I just wasn't feeling it. So I go back to the bunkhouse and I actually spent the next hours um, late to the night just in my journal, just writing all the all mm. the stuff, which is downloading at mm. that point. Like, okay, what's this going to look like for me? You know, what what is God really up to? And how can I really go back home with life being the same? And that was really one of the word things that I had written down. I was like, there's no way this can be the same. So we, you know, we get, leave the weekend. I remember getting back uh, to the hotel in Denver I called Amber, just kind of let her know, hey, I'm back here in Denver. I flew home the next morning. Um, and she would, she tells people now that she knew from the moment she heard my voice that something had drastically changed. And I hadn't even gotten to tell her anything about the weekend yet, but she's like, something's yeah. different about this guy. Yeah. And uh, so the journey began. And I mem- always remember when we left that weekend of uh, John really challenging us, like, guys, this isn't just about us. This is a ransom heart thing. This is discipleship. How are you going to take this to your world now? If mm-hmm. God has impacted, tr- has impacted you in some way, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Take this to your world. And I was like, okay, great. Um, <clears throat> so I remember writing that down. I was like, okay, I'm going to figure that out. And, you know, um, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm going to crawl with it for a while. And, um, walk and run with it and then get back home I remember you know it was but it was like it was so wild the way the sequence of life began to happen at that point mm-hmm. um, like I knew something had drastically changed in me I knew things had to be different I, I, but I didn't know what that meant you know I still had to go back to work you know I still everything was all that was still normal um, kids still had their activities they were still doing so we still had to do all 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 their stuff so all that was the same but yet everything was different Mm -hmm. and and i felt like you know god was doing something he was leading me to do something and i didn't know what that meant um so i think the first thing 
that began was I, I began this journey of continue just just learning and, and and reading and studying and just trying to figure things figure more things out and you know stayed very close to the ransom heart team and the things they were they were teaching mm-hmm. um and uh then i felt this call and like maybe I, maybe I should go back to school and 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 do some more learning there so i actually went back and um to school again and um, to pursue a master's in counseling. And, and again, mind you at this point, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I went this professional counseling for this professional counseling career or degree, which in a lot of sense was, you know, you know, become a licensed counselor and then, and then I can maybe start a practice or go work at a counseling center or whatever. I don't know. But I just, I, I just knew I'd, it felt like it was more of this calling for equipping. And I think it was, that's part of the big part of it was this is equipping of learning how to really work with people and how to really disciple people and help them really dive through their narratives in some way. And that's kind of where that began to come from. But mind you, at this point, I still had no idea what that was going to mean for me in my life. I had n- no idea. So question. Yep. Would it be correct to say that, like, if I'm listening to your narrative correctly, it almost sounds like when you went back to school, it's just, it's almost like you're still looking down that path. Like you're standing there and it's like, will you come down this path? And you're just kind of like, uh, okay. Like you don't see where it goes. Yeah. Like you can't see the end of it, but you see, you see the path and you hear the voice. That's kind of what it sounds like to me that this whole going to school thing, like you're just like, okay. And, and you just go like, it's not a, it's not some like, I now have a vision from the Lord. Yeah. Like it's, it was just, Hey, here's this thing. It, it seems like the right thing to do. I feel something there. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that was, that's a very accurate statement to make. Um, because I really was standing there at this kind of crossroads of, and looking down this, this route, this road, like I see, and I feel like there's, this is the right thing to do. I feel like I'm, I need, I, I, I'm supposed to learn something here and take mm-hmm. something from this. And, um, but I had no idea what that was going to look like. Yeah. And again, the practical is, you know, you, you get the degree, then you can pursue getting licensed yeah. and all this stuff. And, but there was, for me, at this point in my life, at this point, I, I, it, it, everything was going back to what I felt and heard on that road was n- uh, no longer was I going to stand there knowing exactly what was going to be ahead of me. Mm-hmm. If I was truly going to follow and trust Jesus, then I was just going to take each step without any knowledge or, or certainty of what the outcome was going to be and not... Mm-hmm. And not let myself be in t- be tied to what the results were going to be mm. of that. So, and that was that was kind of the that journey of going to school. Um, got to go back to Colorado for another um, event at the their Become Good Soil Intensive, which was just huge, a rich uh, weekend for me, and really getting to sit under some some older mentors and. A man named Mark Woods was a huge instrumental piece of that weekend for me and kind of the way he mm. spoke into my narrative and into my life. Uh, Jim Morrison as well. The, both those guys were just huge. Um, but uh, I think it was um, 
but then I come back from that weekend and now I'm like, okay, I, I, things have started moving, progressing even faster. At this point, I began to actually devil, dabble in to actually counseling and working with people. Um, uh, we started a, a small little church min, uh, counseling ministry at, at my church and um, so I began working with people there, which was, and it was good. It was just, it was almost a point of, part of it was requirement to finish my degree, mm-hmm. um, to get certain hours in, but also it was just to kind of get some experience of what it looked like to really sit down one-on-one and working with people. Yeah. And it was huge. And to, to get that experience and that exposure and working with people from different, with different narratives, different backgrounds. And, and all, it, it's so wild because all this was stood in such a very short sequence. We're still barely a year and a half now from the time that I was actually in Colorado. Okay. So all of this, mind you. So what year is this now? This was now 2016. So you're in Colorado in 2015? Yeah. January 2015 is when okay, I was there. January 2015. Yep. And uh, um, so by um, middle 2016, I'm now sitting and starting to work with people. I'm still finishing okay. the degree. Had another year of school left. Yeah. But... God was still doing more, and I and I started getting going back to that or feeling that call of uh, taking what I've learned and what I've uh, absorbed from the Wild of Heart experience and all that, and now taking it to more. So, friends, I think that's going to be a good stopping point for this week, as we just talk about my story. Next week, when we pick back up on the Deep Roots podcast, we'll begin to dive into. Deep Roots Ministries and the vision and the mission that has come to fruition over the last couple years since we formed the Anvil Men's Boot Camp and the Unveiled Women's Encounter and how that has evolved into what has now become Deep Roots Ministries. So I'm looking forward to having you back as Chris and I continue this conversation as we unfold what God has done in my life over the last few years now and how this mission has really come to life. So we look forward to seeing you back next week on the Deep Roots Podcast.